0: We call the cops we file reports and I'm like okay so then what do you do after that so now you filed the report now what do you do that you've got this information and you got a potential abuser in your church that's under investigation and you have the victim now what do you do and they're like I, I don't know like everybody had kind of the same response it was like a whoa wait a minute I don't know should we be doing something and I'm like oh
1: Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, a licensed professional counselor and nationally board certified counselor in the state of Alabama. The focus of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to have real conversations concerning taboo topics that people in the church may find themselves struggling with or feel they may not be able to talk about. The topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. These topics are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, nor is it a substitute for a diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. right now. Let's get started.
2: Hey everyone. I just wanted to touch base today. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode is for information purposes. This is not for young children to be listening to. This has to do with when to report and how to report. This is to help churches, to help ministry, to be better informed. Have two short announcements and then right after that, this episode will start. Thank you. With all the recent negative headlines in regard to church negligence and reporting, it is more important now than ever for churches and ministry to be proactive so they aren't the next headline for a major news network or on social media. How many times have you questioned if a situation or behavior was reportable? As a church leader, how often have you feared being targeted by an individual because you didn't know what procedures or steps that you needed to take as a mandated reporter? Felicia Miller of Greater Purpose Counseling has a solution for you she has created a church risk management paperwork packet that has been well designed to protect churches and ministry from being the next negative hot topic in a news broadcast or on social media. Her paperwork addresses issues like sexual abuse, domestic violence, elderly abuse, and suicidal ideation. By using the church risks management paperwork, Churches and ministry can take steps to protect themselves because the paperwork clearly outlines what is reportable. Protect your ministry and church from being the next headline. For more information about the Church Risk Management Paperwork Packet, contact Felicia Miller at fmiller, that's F-M-I-L-L-E-R, at greaterpurposecounseling.com. If you are a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman in ministry, then you will want to listen to this important announcement for some exciting news. Coming July 22nd and 23rd of 2022, there will be a retreat in Sill, Alabama, that is specifically for pastor's wives, minister's wives, and women in ministry. The theme of this retreat is called Resolute and Refresh and is being hosted by the Real Talk 238 podcast. The definition of Resolute is admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. The reason this retreat is called Resolute and refresh is because women who are the wife of a pastor, the wife of a minister, or who are involved in ministry understand how important it is to be purposeful, determined, and unwavering. These women also understand that no matter what level or capacity they serve, there are times when a few days away are needed so that they can be the best they can be for their spouses, their families, and their churches that they serve. The purpose of this retreat is to invite women together who are involved in ministry so they can specifically be ministered to and be refreshed. Women who attend this retreat will have a place to just get away for a few days so they can be supported, refreshed, and return to their churches feeling rejuvenated. The cost of registration for the Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry Retreat will include three meals, a great lineup of speakers, and two options of where you will want to stay. The best deal is to stay on site, but there are nearby hotels available at a discounted rate. The lineup for this retreat is Carla Burton, Jessica Marquez, Denise Lee, Tara Lynn Anderson, and Michelle Corbin. Corporate prayer will be conducted by Selena Gleason, and music will be by Allison Batten. The last day to register is July 3rd, 2022. Register now before June 13th because the cost of registration will increase. For more information, go to Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry page on Facebook, or you can send an email at lm at gmail.com. That's resolute and refresh lm at gmail.com. Now, for the Real Talk 238 podcast, here we go. Hey, everyone. Thank you for coming and listening to today's episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast. My name is Denise Lee, and I am your host. Today, I have with me Felicia Miller, who I count as a friend. She's a colleague, and she just, I think she's my sister from another mother, we are both members of the Center for Apostolic Counseling. She's just awesome person. She's from Indianapolis, Indiana. She's a therapist. She's married to Tobias. And they have been married as of tomorrow. It'll be 19 years. They have three kids, two dogs. And she has been in church since a long time a long time and i'm over here trying to be serious cuz she's got this she's sitting on one of these bouncy balls
0: and about to like a little kid <laughs>
2: So <laughs> she started, she's been in the church since she was 18. She left for a while, but she came back in 2006. She attends Faith Apostolic Church, and she currently serves in ministry is, work is her ministry, and she describes herself as she depends on if she's had coffee, how she would describe herself this morning. She's doing tea, and it's not the true Southern sweet tea. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> She's a woman who wears many hats and tries to follow the voice of God. Not perfect and always a work in progress of balancing being human and living a disciplined Christian life. And a fun fact about her, is she lives by following her instincts And in many of her life's most memorable moments and changes have been due to an instinct in jumping. Hey Felicia, how are you
0: today? I'm wonderful, Denise. Thank you for having me.
2: I'm just curious, what is one of those memorable moments?
0: You know what's funny is when you were talking about the fun fact, I sat and I was just sitting here thinking about the fact that I'm not allowed to skydive anymore.
2: I don't think you've ever shared that with me. So why are you not allowed
0: to skydive? Because I had kids. Oh. So I had skydived once for like my 25th or my 26th birthday. And at the time, I was like, really kind of afraid of getting on planes. And so I was like, I want to get on planes because I want to really, you know, start traveling some more. And I was like, if I could jump out of a plane, I could totally do this. And so I went skydiving and I loved it. So then I started researching like, what would it, could I get certified as a skydiver? Could I go do this by myself? Like more often and the gear and all that stuff. And then a friend of mine, she had, like a couple of years later, she had bought some skydiving passes on Groupon she was like, Hey, you want to go skydiving? I'm like, yeah, like, let's go do it. And so me and her and my husband have went skydiving again. And that's a story by itself. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I even researched there's a place in Tennessee and my graduation gift from my master's was going to be to go tandem halo jump. I get so excited every time I see a movie and they're halo jumping. I'm like, I want to do that. And uh, yeah, I found a place I could halo jump tandem and it was gonna be like, you know, five thousand dollars. I'm like, I don't care, that's amazing. And then I had all my kids in one year and my husband's like, Okay, you're a mom and I need you to live. So, <laughs> so that didn't skydive anymore. a cat clip, but I I love it. I absolutely and I just I have days where I see people skydiving, and I'm like, I know how that feels <laughs> Wow.
2: I I do not have that, that part of me is not brave. <laughs> Anything to do with heights, I'm not for it.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it.
2: <laughs> Just keep me out of that one. <laughs> so yesterday, it was Mother's Day, and so we was having some interesting conversation about Mother's Day, which I think I will spare all that, but... Overall, was Mother's Day good for you?
0: It was. It was good. We worked in the garden. I got to take a nap.
2: Hey, that's the best part. I think I got to nap a lot yesterday.
0: Yeah, you know, church was good. I love it when my first lady speaks. She's amazing, amazing. And challenges and all that kind of stuff. And challenges in like a good way where it's like, I need to keep raising the bar. But it was good. I got some of my starter plants in their pots because I do both in ground and pot vegetable gardening. And then I got my seedlings because I had my seedlings done, but then it got real windy and the seedlings all fell over and my wonderful, beautiful, handsome husband just put all the seeds back in the trays.
2: (laughs) So there ain't no tell what's going to come up.
0: And I was like, baby, we, we can't do that. I have new seeds. All that has to be thrown away. And he's like, that'd be fine. I was like, so can I take all your screws? And can I throw them on the ground and then throw them back in your toolbox until you so Be it's going to be okay? And he's like, no. I said, okay. You <laughs> can't do that. That's funny.
2: <laughs> oh, that is funny. Mother's Day. Interesting Mother's Day antics. I had asked you to come on the podcast because it, this has probably been, what, within the last three months? It might have been six months. I'm not sure. You really took an interest in law and the church. Yes. it,
0: it Yeah, it was probably about six months ago. Because part of what I do with Greater Purpose counts, you know, we definitely do the individual therapy and group therapy, psychoeducation, consultation, like we have all these different hats we do, but I really wanted this year, part of the vein of the company would be to really get into the churches and help train because you and I have access to trainings that help us be better as therapists, right? Churches don't always have access to that. You and I can only therapize so many people and then we're done for the day. But if we can get, my thought was like, if we could get in and help the infrastructure with psychoeducation, with different kinds of trainings, then maybe it would decrease how many people are being hurt right. because of just that lack of training, that lack of education, because there's a huge disconnect. Everybody else, if they have any kind of a state license for school for nursing, medical. I mean, if you have a state license, usually you have some kind of required CEs and ongoing training. But if you work with kids, there's usually a yearly abuse reporting training that you have to do, all these different things. The church just doesn't do that.
2: Yeah, I think that depends on the state too, because I don't yeah. think in Alabama we're required to do the yearly training for abuse reporting, which I think it yeah. should be done just because it's good yeah. information.
0: Yeah. I see. And it might also be like, I mean, I know in Indiana, as far as if if you work for a company in Indiana as a therapist that works with kids or works with anything, they have an abuse reporting every single year. I've not had a job in Indiana in probably the last 15 years where I didn't have to participate with that. So that's I think that's probably where that comes from. Is because I'm so used to like, oh, here's our, you know, here's our list of yearly reporting or yearly training that we have to participate with or we don't get a rate.
2: I think it's something that should be implemented. I know going forward, I'm going to start implementing it personally, just because it's valuable. And I think too you've helped me because I don't work with a lot of kids. And it's just good information to have. This could be also state specific as well. Every state is different. Some states are very similar on licensing requirements, which we have found out. And some are very different. And that's okay.
0: Indiana Strict.
2: <laughs> yes, Indiana Strict. There's a couple others I found out that were just right there as well, which I was surprised.
0: But that's why I decided to stay because we were going to move to Colorado years ago. But when I found out Indiana was like one of the stricter states for clinical mental health, I wanted to be licensed here because it makes it easier for me to go someplace that has less requirements, right and get licensed versus I don't have to go back to school. I don't have to go back and finish the long internship. Like, there's a lot because I've already done it.
2: Or I have to go get back and get additional supervision.
0: Yes. Yeah. I know in
2: (laughs) Alabama, while you're in, like, right now I'm an associate licensed counselor, which thankfully is getting ready to change. Hallelujah. Which means that I will no longer be required to be under supervision. But in Alabama, you know, we're required to have the 3,000 hours of supervision. But if you go to school for every five classes, they knock off a thousand hours, which is great. But some states, if you decide to get licensed in that state, guess what? They don't.
0: don't honor that.
2: They don't honor it and you still have to finish up your other whatever amount of hours you're missing. So I I really had to take that into consideration. Do I want to do this later? So you got interested in the legal side of it. And I don't want you to go into detail of it, but I know there was one case that you worked with that kind of probably started churning that.
0: There was a couple of them because I worked at the agency. I was in and out of court all the time. I Became very familiar with certain things that I was like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can do this. Or, oh, this is this.
2: Like, what was one thing you found that you didn't think you had to do, but you were like, oh.
0: One of the things was the whole reporting. Like, that was one thing that was such an eye-opener. Because in the church community, the old school teaching, the old guard teaching, the old way is we handle it in-house. I specifically remember there was a person that... They were not my direct leader. They were not my direct pastor. And it was somebody else who was in a leadership position. And there was a situation, a couple of situations where I was like, time out. These kids are being abused. We know they're being abused. We need to call DCS. Like we need to file a report.
2: And DCS is?
0: Department of Child Services for Indiana. And I know some people have DCFS.
2: Alabama is DHR, California's CPS. So it's pretty much the same thing.
0: Yeah, it depends. Yeah, same concept. You're calling to file a report that there's a minor being hurt. And I was like, hey, we need to do this. Like, this ain't right. And there was like a few of us that had went in and had a meeting with this person. And they literally told us, we are not the police for DCF. And they discouraged us from taking those steps. They discouraged us from filing a report when we could tell these kids were being abused by their family. They were being neglected. I left, like, we all left, like, what? Like, that ain't right. Right. And then along the way, there were different people I would talk to and they'd be like, yeah, we just, we don't, we don't involve DCS. You know, we let somebody else make that phone call. We're the safe place for people to come. And we want people to keep coming and not fear that we're going to file reports on them. And I was in my middle twenties. I'm like, this don't sit right with me because we're basically telling them, we are not going to help them. We're not going to be a part of this. Fast forward, here I'm working in this agency where it was okay. We got a kid that was brought in by DCS, and I worked in human trafficking, and you know, kids are being reported, high-profile cases, like all these different things. So then we would get to getting more details. I'd be doing therapy, and then it would turn into like well it wasn't just this person but it was this person who molested me and my mother did this each time we got more details i was legally obligated to call and place that report because it was one of those things like my licensure dictated it and in the state of indiana the law is it's basically you are a breathing human being you should be filing reports and so i would sit and i would talk with persons was supervision with and you know just like well, why don't churches do this? And everybody's like, what do you mean? Because they're like, well, everybody should be, if there's abuse, you should be reporting. That's the law. That's this. And I'm sitting here like, well, why don't we do that? And so then fast forward being in private practice, I've had to go to court a few times for some of my patients. And there definitely has been some things that I've been involved in where I'm like, and I'll go back and, you know, different people that I'm connected to different people I'm friends with that are in ministry. And I'll text them like, what do you know that your law is as clergy? What is the law for you? like, you are the pastor of the church. You're the youth leader. If you see somebody's coming in and they got a black eye, someone comes in and they says, hey, this is what's going on. My relative molested me or the youth leader did this. And they were all my age. They're middle 40s. They're like, we call DCS. We call the cops. We file reports. And I'm like, okay. So then what do you do after that? So now you filed the report. Now, what do you do? that you've got this information and you got a potential abuser in your church that's under investigation and you have the victim. Now, what do you do? And they're like, I, I don't know. Like everybody had kind of the same response. It was like a, whoa, wait a minute, I don't know. Should we be doing something? And I'm like, oh yeah, you should be. Because in my head, all that experience of going to court like we would have to show visual logs, like we would have to show documentation because we would accept into the residential, we would accept kids who they had been charged with sexual molestation, they were the perpetrator. So then we had to show visual logs that we kept this kid in a tight box and they had to earn like kind of their freedom because they couldn't be trusted.
2: Right, right. It makes me think about when I intern, they had to do at the hospital, they had to do 15 minute, quarter hour checks. And that's what you're talking about, like that visual log. And then as they earned privilege, you know, on their behavior that extended out to half hour. But they
0: were still like our kids were in. Still, they were never allowed to be alone with another kid. We never set them up to fail. We're like, hey, buddy, if you have a sexual attraction to a child, then we can't leave you alone with a child. Right. But we can at least earn your trust, which is part of redemption. That was one of those things I have been working in religious trauma and working in abuse. A common thing that I hear over and over again from victims, victims who are adults that never, ever got validated as kids. And what has happened is that big case that just blew up and everybody was coming forward. They're being re-traumatized right. because they're reliving their own incident where their pastor told them, you know what, it, because of how you were dressed, that's why you got raped. Yeah. Instead of like, hey, we should sit this person down. We need to get a rape kit. We need to take you to the hospital to get DNA. Hey, I'm sorry. You know what? It's your fault. It's under the blood. Like that is a common theme I hear from so many people that they were told in the eighties, the nineties, the early two thousands. Well, it's under the blood. We have to forgive them. We have to give them a second chance.
2: That And that's not what forgiveness is about.
0: No, it's, that's not what it's about at all. There's nothing that says that I have to have a relationship with you after you have violated me. Right. There's nothing, nothing at all. And the church messes that up where they're like, well, by forgiving, that means we have to go ahead and let them be a Sunday school teacher to children. No, no, there's certain things that they lose, they lose it, they don't ever get to do this. I hear it over and over again. And so I had phone calls, my phone was just blowing up patients that I, you know, we've graduated them out. And they're just like, Felicia, this is it's like, it's happening all over again. Like this happened to me. And now it's on a bigger scale, and they're crying. And then on the other side, I'm, you know, having different conversations with people and. And I see people posting about the bitter backsliders and these angry people. And they're just mad. But no one's asking, why are you bitter? Right. Why are you angry?
2: They're not asking what happened to you.
0: What happened to you? Because if you're going along and you're like, man, I love God. I love God. I love God. And then all of a sudden something happens and you don't, what happened? And you have all these people who are just, they're like, and here it is happening again. Then you have on the other side, you have these people who are my age that are pastors of churches and they're like, not in my church. We're not doing that. We're not covering anything up. And they want to know the laws and they want to know what, what should they be doing? It depends on who you talk to because that old school, and this is so, Because I work with so many different denominations. This is like across the board. This isn't just one organization.
2: No, it's in several organizations. It's
0: in every organization. When you have power, you have abuse. Right. When you have position of power and authority, it attracts the narcissistic people.
2: You know, that makes me think of like, I, because I've worked years with individuals that have ritual abuse histories and a lot of them I think what surprised me in the beginning was a lot of them were under the cover of churches and it didn't matter what denomination I mean you name a denomination a different a faith it was there yes and it was always it was that was the cover up yes yeah. And it was like that abuse of power and who do we tell? I remember somebody reached out to me and a relative of theirs that lived up north. And I said, well, let me make some calls and see what I can find. Talked to an elderly gentleman who'd probably been in the faith since probably 1912. You know, he'd been around, he'd been, he'd been there a while. And, and I was so disheartened because when I reached out to him, hey, there's somebody, you know, could use some help. And when he found out I was a therapist, then it was like, well... We
0: just need Jesus. Yeah, we don't need that. We don't need that.
2: Well, yeah. We, yeah, we need Jesus, but you know what? Sometimes we need Jesus with arms on,
0: which includes therapy, which includes following the law of the land. Yes. Scripture talks about you're supposed to obey the law. Right. When I started putting these really kind of honed in on getting these trainings put together, I had looked on one of my shelves because in my undergrad, I took a class on church and law because that's stuff fascinated me. Like, what is the law? You went to
2: Bible college, didn't you?
0: Yes, I did. Yes. And we never opened the book. We had very interesting conversations, like legit. There were very interesting conversations that were had that were trials, courts, different things going on that were very insightful, but we never opened that book. And I remember about halfway through this semester, I was mad about that. I'm like, man, I spent all this money on this book and we never opened it. But I just remember, and I I remember I was like, I'm never getting rid of this book because I spent so much money on it. And I know at some point it would come in handy. So then I opened it and I just, I started going like, wow, there's whole sections on abuse. There's whole sessions.
2: What year was the book published? Do you remember?
0: That particular version, I want to say it was early 2000s. And so I had went online and I typed in the book and then I pulled up, they had a newer version that was like as recent as like 2019. So I went ahead and spent the money and bought that. And then I spent like a week going page by page and putting a tab on everything that had abuse or negligent.
2: And I remember you showing me all yes. these
0: these tabs on like, it. Yes. Like it's, I just was like, let me start here. And then I used so many tabs. I had to go buy more. Part of the stuff that I hear from my patients isn't necessarily only about like sexual abuse or, you know, physical abuse. It's like workplace it's being taken advantage of. It's not getting paid. It's, you know, them withholding your paycheck because they didn't, you know, for whatever reason, you just were the bottom person of the totem pole and you're not going to get paid. It's these different experiences where they're being yelled at behind closed doors, where they're being shamed and texted and all these different things and very bad behavior that no one's tolerating in the corporate world. But because someone has aligned abuse and that kind of abuse culture with spirituality and Christians, that's what they've paired in their brain and their experience that this is religion, this is being in ministry. It's working on unmeshing that toxic concept that this is actually abuse. Yeah, it's not sexual, it's not physical. But this is the belittling, the holding of your earned funds or telling you, you know, sorry, you actually just don't get paid that much, or we need you to do this, but it's going to be for free. Like different things, and everything's ministry.
2: Like you, I've worked with individuals in sex trafficking. That is a type of trafficking.
0: It is. It's like work trafficking. It really is. And I'm just sitting here like, like, this is not okay. I've highlighted different things in that book now that I've tabbied it. And I've used a lot of the abuse for like kids and the reporting. I've got that in my form. I want to sit down and probably like just read 10 pages a day because I really want to sit down and just dive into this thing in the way that, that we just didn't when we should have. But it's a book that I've sent a link to like so many of my pastor friends. I'm like, if you don't have this book and you guys are pastoring, you need this book. Because now most churches in all denominations, they're doing like small groups. They're doing all these different things. And there's laws. If you take a small group and you guys go and do something and somebody gets hurt and you don't actually have some kind of form that says, hey, if we get in a car wreck while we're traveling, I won't see the church. There's laws. For that. The big thing is background checks. A lot of churches do them, but there's a lot of churches that don't do them. But within the abuse and negligence section of this book, it really does discuss the laws that if you have someone and you bring them on as a volunteer and you don't do your homework and it turns out that they are a registered sex offender and then you let them near people and they hurt somebody, there's a civil lawsuit that can happen. You can actually get found negligent because you let them in. And you didn't follow up.
2: No, I was thinking too, when you mentioned earlier about the trainings you had to do for working with kids, that is one thing I will say for Alabama, and I'm sure it's the same way in Indiana, if you worked with kids, you had to go get a background check. Yes. I had to go and pay for it every single time. And just because you do one a year later, guess what? You got to do it again.
0: You got to do another one. It's every single year you have to do it. All the forms that I've created are risk management. There's a help of church to be covered in court. There's always, when you deal with insurance, there's always reasons a policy will not be honored. Sometimes it might be that they didn't know and got a background check. Sometimes it might not be that they didn't get, they don't have a visual log for when a perpetrator is in the building. That is a big one. That's a huge one that nobody really does or safety plans. What do you do and have a safety plan that on one hand, if you do have someone who's a perpetrator and they're participating with therapy, there should be a safety plan that keeps them from getting further allegations when they're not doing anything and they are being compliant with treatment. Right. There should be a safety plan for the victim. So then that way the victim doesn't get attacked or doesn't have anything. But then at the same time, victims are not perfect. They're not innocent. And there may be a situation where they perceive something because their brain thinks that they're not safe. And they say, oh, this person did come after me. But like, if you have visual logs on both of them, well, no, that's not what happened at all. So then everybody's okay. There's no further allegations. What I have, I know we're up in court.
2: I think another thing that churches, particularly organizations that have licensed ministers, that really needs to be addressed is, and I'm thinking about the case in Texas, where the pastor, it was the son who got convicted, which rightfully so, he should have been convicted for, I believe it was child abuse or child sexual abuse, a minor. What really upsets me about this and it's his son. The pastor never reported his own son. And I'm not going to say which organization. It doesn't matter. Any and every organization. This particular one, though, it says our churches are supposed to be a safe place. And I know this because my husband is a licensed minister. You know, I have to know the bylaws, all that good stuff. Okay, the churches are supposed to be a safe place. As a licensed minister, you sign and agree to that. But what gets me is, okay, what about if you didn't follow through this? I am of the opinion, and if people disagree with me, I really don't care. But I am of the opinion that pastor should have his license pulled. Because it went on for how long?
0: Absolutely. If you are found negligent of breaking the law, because that's breaking the law. I have a whole list of every state and the law pertaining to clergy when it comes to abuse reporting. I also have a list of what are the actual charges, the legal charges if you are found negligent of reporting.
2: Ooh, Yes, that would be a good list.
0: It's a great list. Like in Indiana, if you're clergy and you're found negligent, it's a B misdemeanor and it is a felony six. Whoa. If you're clergy and, and found guilty of not reporting. I think if more churches understood the big consequences that are reality, they would be more willing.
2: So that makes me think of this. What if you have somebody who's been coming to your church? They're what would be considered a new convert, or they're trying to get established in the church. Maybe they hadn't been to church before. And so some time has passed, maybe six months, a year, and they're really making good progress, growing in the church, what have you, spiritually growing. And then One day they come to you and they say, hey, when I was not in church, I had perpetrated a minor. So what would you do on that situation?
0: Because that does come up. It does come up. It's about redemption and accountability. When we come forth and we say, God, we confess our sins and we need redemption. That means that we have to be willing to go the full route of treatment, redemption, and what the natural consequences are. Otherwise, we're just covering it up. We're just part of the cover up. Now, if they come forward and they say they've done this,
2: Like it was passed.
0: Right. It was in the past. The first question would be, when was this reported? When did a DCS or a phone call get made? Where is the victim? Are they still a minor? Because if they say, yes, a DCS and a report was made, then I need to see, I need to see evidence that that report was made.
2: So now is that state specific? Cause in Alabama, if now
0: are you talking about them going to clergy or are you talking about them coming to a clinical therapist?
2: No, I mean, like, is it state specific? Like, if the person was a minor, but it happened way like five, six years, no contact whatsoever.
0: From what I understand, if they are still, the minor is still a minor, you file the report. If they're an adult, then I mean, there's nothing you can necessarily file. The report unless they're wanting to do okay i just want to turn myself in from my understanding if the person is still a minor, you have to you have to call and follow a report. It doesn't matter if you're clergy or clinical.
2: So if they're still a victim and you haven't been in contact with them for five or more years, it still has to be reported as long as they're a minor.
0: Especially if they're still a minor, absolutely. And then that the DCS process up here in Indiana is you call, you give all the details that you have. So I'm like I created a whole form for abuse reporting based on the questions that DCS is basically going to ask because until you're used to doing those kind of phone calls most people get like oh my god i gotta call dcs like what is and and they just like kind of stumble over themselves and because they're just like uh, uh i don't know I, and that's very nerve-wracking in the beginning the first few times i did i i got nervous now i'm like oh here you go
2: is the form is it equivalent to both clergy and to therapy
0: yes i'm actually getting ready to uh open my thing so i can show you
2: you should be able to share it
0: i gotta put my glasses on
2: this, this is what happens when you get old.
0: <laughs> it is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for glasses. Okay, can you see this? I can. Okay, so the way this form is set up, people can go in and they can put their logo here. And then they can type in all their church information here. And then save it so they don't have to put it in. There is a 24-hour window. You find out about it, you have to type when you found out about it, and then when you reported it. So you just, there's like a whole drop-down box. So you just type in the date. And because they want to know that they want to know that from there, DCS has a set time of when they got to lay eyes on the kids based on what's being reported. So, this is all about the person making the report. So, you would type the name, what is your role in the church? So, you have all these different things because so many churches have so many different things. And then, they always want to know, well, what's your relationship? This is what my relationship is. And then, phone number, email, because they always want to know, can I get back to you? Are you clergy licensed? So, this particular form is made just clergy license. Now, I can't. for church organization, I can go in and edit that based on what their organization is. And then a lot of churches now have clinical licensed people that kind of volunteer our work. And then, you know, maybe lay counsel or something like that, because they're going to ask.
2: Right. So for the clergy license, if somebody is affiliated with a Baptist organization or assembly of God, you'd be able to update that. Yes,
0: I can go in and I can change that for that umbrella of that organization. But then also here's all they want all the victims information, their date of birth. A lot of these you can say unknown, unknown. I don't know. unknown. now because this is typically more of a traditional religion. I did only put female and male. I didn't add all the other things because I figured people would be like, what?
2: Oh, for the gender. Yes.
0: Yeah, for the gender stuff. And so then you go in and you know, like, if you don't know, you just type unknown. But then parents, where do they live at? Do they have siblings? Because if the victim is being molested, you need to know, is there other siblings that could be getting molested? And then this is the perpetrator based on if they are a minor, or if they're an adult, if they're a minor, you just fill all this stuff out. But if they're not, you click NA, if they're an adult, same thing, are they clergy credentials? What's the religious organization they're affiliated with? Where do they go to church? Because it might not be someone in your church, it might might be someone who was visiting.
2: That's true. That
0: happens. Yes. They're a visitor person and they're like, here, go play with my kids. And nobody knows the truth, but then you can click on what kind of abuse. And then this is basically what's the time frame? Where did it happen? Was it on the Sunday school bus? Was it in the classroom? Was it at the house? Because then they can kind of have an idea and then basic details of the abuse, something very simple.
2: And that goes into like John Doe touched me.
0: Yes. He hit me on this date. and would be able to basically say what they said this is such a multi-level thing because one of the questions i get asked from clergy all the time is how do i know i'm not in my scope of practice how do i know when to refer if you do this form you're going to be able to go you're not in my scope of practice i need to refer you so you can click unknown they decline to disclose no but then you can click all that as they're talking you can click any of these yeah man they punch me all the time and you know and I, i couldn't get up well bam, punching, holding down. I, I wasn't allowed to leave the house. They always put locks on the door trapped in the home. You know, so you don't have to necessarily go, did they pull your hair? Did they, you know, did they do these things? Like, literally, they can say, you know, they'll, they'll tell you he had his hands on my neck. I couldn't breathe. Well, strangled.
2: It just is a matter of listening.
0: It's a matter of listening. That's
2: it. I'm so glad like under the section on sexual abuse, a lot of people think that sexual abuse is just Penis penetration.
0: Forced vaginal. Yes. It's not. It's so much more.
2: It could be fingers. It could be objects. It could be all sorts
0: of things. It can be forced oral sex. Yes. It could be forced pictures. Here's the thing. All these teenagers got pictures and they're sending nude pictures. That's distribution of child pornography right that is possession of child pornography right like and I don't think people realize that buying unwanted filming exposure to porn exposure to sexual talk
2: what about the case of these kids who are taking pictures of themselves nude pictures and they are distributing out what would that be
0: you would call that's distribution of pornography because they're a minor. They're distributing their own stuff that are sexual legal offenses that will put you in jail. Make that connection and then pull up different scriptures that talk about voyeurism. David looked at Bathsheba. That's
2: Sheba, right.
0: That's voyeurism. He was watching her. He broke the law. He
2: was being a peeping Tom.
0: <laughs> right. I think if the church, if people could make the connection that, oh, this is an illegal act, maybe they will stop. Oh, well, that's just boys being boys. Yeah, and then that opens up the door for human sexuality. Like we got to start talking about that. Right. But then, you know, you get into like the emotional abuse. Most people don't put these things together. Child neglect. I mean, I know stories of kids having to eat dog food because their family spent money on drugs. Right. They didn't have food to eat or people who don't have running water and they're taking showers at school. Medical neglect, educational neglect. And then the reports for, because you can get fined with educational neglect. Like, oh, we homeschool. Do you, though? Like, do you really homeschool?
2: Do you have records of everything you're doing?
0: Right, right. You know, not following an IEP. Girl, there are some schools that are private schools that don't honor an IEP. That is illegal in school, they're just like, we don't have to follow that.
2: So what Felicia's is showing me here, because nobody's going to see this, and I, I apologize. She's actually showing me this form. And as I'm looking at it, she's got it broke down to different sections, like medical neglect, child neglect, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, all different sections. And you just go through and you click. this is a well put together form. I am so impressed. And if you know me with me and my forms that I created for my own practice, I am impressed. Thank you. So this is very well put together. I would encourage anybody, if you are involved in clergy, and if or if you're a therapist listening to this podcast, reach out to Felicia to get this form. This is so well put together. Thank you. We're up to the reporting details.
0: Yes. And this I can also tweak. Because see, like, I have my form locked, so you can't change anything. But I can go in and unlock it. So if say they're calling from Alabama, Alabama, then I can easily just type in here, whatever that number is for DCS or DHS human trafficking hotline is the same anywhere, but this way people don't have to go. I don't have the number. I didn't know what to call. Well, here's your number. It's right there. But then it goes back to, you put in you pop in the calendar, the date, the time, and then DCS will tell you on the phone call, this is screened in or this is screened out. And in my training, I explain what that means because they will tell you.
2: What does that mean?
0: It means that basically they are going to go ahead and file a report and they're going to investigate or they're not because there's not enough details. There is a lot of abuse that gets reported that is screened out because of lack of details. And they will tell you that.
2: Which is where this form comes in so handy because you've got the details. Now, the other thing too is, which I've encouraged different ones to use the hypothetical situation. Yeah. Maybe they don't know if it's reportable. They could always make a call and say, hey, I have a hypothetical situation. I guarantee you they're probably like, they know it's it's legit. Yes, absolutely. But if you say it's hypothetical, it kind of covers you. So you know for sure.
0: Yes, absolutely. And the thing is, is if you give it to them, it's up to them if they investigate, right? It's, it's just it's up to them. You're just t- passing the information. But then if you do call the cop, who's the cop? Who's the report number, badge number, CCS, name of the operator report? Did they go to the hospital? Yes, no declined unknown. You know, did you take pictures? We always had to take pictures. If somebody came in and their face was jacked up or they had marks, we had to take pictures to have proof. But then here's the part that is new, which is if they are clergy, what's the name of their presbyter? What's the presbyter's contact information? And then how did you get a hold of them? Also, headquarters did you your religious organization
2: and this is for pastors right
0: yeah this is if the abuser is a licensed clergy member of their organization because that's where a lot of the disconnect comes from if you're licensed with the upc or if you're licensed with southern baptist and then a mormon comes in there's nothing they can do because the mormon's not licensed with them I had an incident where there was a particular individual. He was an adult. He got charges. He's going away for a long time, but he had at some point been a youth leader, but not credentialed in certain churches. I did go ahead. And with permission, I let that entire area up there know in quite a few different organizations, this is this man's name. And most likely you guys have his victims in his church. And I want you guys to know this because if they say this person did it, here is the report number and you can find it on mycase.org in Indiana. And there's his record. He's going to prison. And you guys, that way you all know how to handle the victims and don't tell them that it didn't happen. But then also was charges pressed? Maybe they declined because this right here is going to protect clergy, it's going to protect therapists, it's going to protect everybody. Because if they said they didn't want to press charges and they come back, well, my pastor told me not to. Well, no, you declined. If headquarters says of whatever organization we had no information, you can say, No, here is the person, this is how I contacted them. If the district says we weren't told, boom, this is how I got a hold of you. And then the fun part though is. If you send an email, and I always encourage people to send an email, you print it off.
2: Oh, yes. You
0: have that documentation that says, I sent this to you. They literally can't say you didn't do anything because it becomes without documentation. It's hearsay. And they're going to side with the victim every time. Right. But if you have documentation that says, this is what we did, then they're going to be like, hey, buddy, why are you lying? Because they have this. And
2: not only that, say somebody, like I mentioned earlier, who they were a former perpetrator and they're trying to get their life right. And yes, there's documentation, but they have shown, no, I, I did not do this.
0: So I have a different form for that. I'll show you that real quick. But then what referrals did you make? Some churches are connected to therapists. They can literally be like, hey, I want to connect you with this person. I want to connect the parents with somebody. If the perpetrator don't go to their church, they could easily just click NA because we don't know who he is or he didn't want to. And then follow up. If you're a clergy and you're told this is happening in my house, you should be following up. Right. That's detrimental. You should absolutely be following up so they can come in and click what. what's the date and time that they're going to follow up. So then that way everybody knows with the parent again, with perpetrator that say the parents and the kid came in. Well, I, the perpetrator goes to church. I'm going to text them and we're going to have a follow-up meeting because I need to know why you are being accused of this. And I need to tell you, you about to sit down. And then if there's a church, what church staff is going to be assigned? And then everybody has to sign it. That will hold up in court 100%. If this is filled out right and signed, it'll hold up in court. Now, if you have, because There are perpetrators. So like, here's a basic safety plan for a perpetrator. You would go in and you would fill all this out. This is what they are saying. These are the referrals. I love my pastor because he was like, this kind of form shows redemption and accountability, which is what you're supposed to have. Right. If you come and you say, I need to be forgiven. I want to work on something. Then you should be willing to come forward and do these things. So if they come forward and say, hey, I have this, you know, this thing. The perpetrator information. Well, they weren't clergy, but hey, maybe they were. Then this is their personal information. And then they have to identify what's their warning sign.
2: When you say warning signs, like there are triggers that set them off.
0: Yes triggers that set them off to want to go abuse somebody that turns them on. And they're like, oh my gosh, I want to go and touch this child. I want to go rape this woman, whatever, or guy, whoever it is, because men get abused too. But like they can identify what, and they just type it in here. And then what coping skills to do when they're alone, you know, call their sponsor, meet with a therapist, disconnect. And this is also, they can fill it in. These are blank like that. And then also if they declined. Well, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to share anything with you. Well, then guess what? You get to be in a small box and you don't get to do anything. These are the referrals made. Maybe you need to go to SSA. Maybe you need to have a, see a clinical therapist, software protection, who is going to be on your team with covenant eyes or one of the bark or one of those kind of things. Right. And then also you understand this agreement that they understand that they're either going to collaborate with their ministerial team or they're going to decline. Uh, They should be collaborating with the ministerial team, which means that gives them permission to talk to their therapist, to their sponsor, to their probation officer, because that way they don't lie. Their people are going to be like, yeah, they're compliant or no, you know what? They're not coming to meetings. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. So, no, they shouldn't be doing anything. And then this is the actions of the staff because they always court wants to know. Well, what did you put in place? You got all this information. What was your state? What did you put in place? And then how are you going to meet with them? And then everybody signs it. But like this, this kind of goes over here. Those are distractions when they're with people, locations that provide healthy distractions. You know, being able to type in, you know what? I do good if I go to a state park and I'm alone. I do good if I can be in the prayer room. Things I can't do at church or at home. So this lays out clear language that if you've been caught sexually abusing somebody, this can all be filled out. I cannot teach Sunday school, cannot be alone with children. I cannot have internet at my home because if I have internet at my home, then I'm perusing the porn sites. I'm looking at the dark web, but all this they can put in. And if they decline, well, then wait a minute, you don't want to, you don't want to follow restrictions. So you're safe. And then identifying those risk management, you know, the things What's two things that's worth being safe for, and then picking an accountability team. And these people, you know, it's someone on the pastoral team, maybe it's a relative. It definitely should be their sponsor. It should be their clinical therapist. It should be, and all of these people become communicative with each other. So that's like the safety plan for them. Again, this is
2: so excellent put together. It really is. It's very thought through, and and that's the thing. If somebody's been a perpetrator and they come to church, this is about redemption. Yes, so it's not about let's just punish you forever. No, let's put you in place where you can be active in ministry. So you can't you can't teach Sunday school to kids, but there's lots of other areas of ministry.
0: Yes, there's other things that can be done, but. Once a person has been found out to child molest, you are excluded from ever becoming clergy. That that ship has sailed. Most religious organizations, if you admit that you have molested a child, if you have been caught and actually have charges, either one of those.
2: I'm not talking about licensed
0: minister. No, I just want to make sure that's clear.
2: Yes, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I just want to make sure that is clear. If you have caught with that, you can never get a license to marry and bury people. But like, you might be able to be on the music team. You know, there's certain things that you might be able to do, but then you will always have those parameters. As a a way of protection for temptation victims and for yourself, like, okay, you can't do this, so you have to change, you change your thought. But like this is the visual log, So same thing. They can put in their stuff. But then this is their official information. Were they ever credentialed? Are they registered? Yes or no. Is it an active investigation? Yes or no. Do they have a probation officer? Do they have a therapist? Do they have a sponsor? So this all goes here. So that way everybody knows what's their age, all that kind of stuff. But then this basically goes into this is the date that they were in the church building. This is the time that we, and they have to come. They got to come and tap in. They've got to text somebody. Hey, I'm here. This is the time that they left the building. And then also, were they in attendance? Yes or no. If no, then you click no. And then you just electronically sign the bottom. If it's yes, did they come alone or were they with somebody? Were they compliant? Yes or no. Did they come and check in? Text message, whatever. Who was assigned to monitor them? What's their role? Location. So this basically goes into where all were they at? Was it a church? Was it an event? Was it an outing off property? Was it the school? And then you just kind of type in, you can pick. Well, they were on the bus, they were in the classroom, they were in the fellowship hall, they were in the prayer room, so on and so on. Because if you keep an eye on them, well, they only went to the sanctuary. They came in, they went to the sanctuary, they went to the prayer room, and they went to the restroom. That's the only three places they went. They were at the church. So if somebody comes and says, Tommy met me in the Sunday school room and he sexually molested me. Well, if you have someone who's assigned to them, that's following them around, they can vouch. No, Tommy was only in these three places. He never was out of my sight. So that protects the offender. But then also the victim, if the victim goes to church there or the target victim, were they there? Nope, they weren't there. Did they get in contact? Nope. Did he demonstrate impulse control? Yep. It's very simple. And then type in the behavior. Timmy was ignored presentation demonstrated impulse control was compliant I mean it doesn't have to be anything very long it's just a very simple explanation of the description and it could be also be that like hey he didn't want to check in he didn't want to do anything he didn't want to do whatever I mean and this is from you know women too because women molest yes she didn't want to do anything
2: this one's for the visual log you've got several of where they have to log it in
0: Because anytime you have a registered offender, there's a whole law in that law book. If you have a registered offender, you should be having a visual log every time they're in the building. Every single time. If you have a registered offender.
2: What is the name of the book that you? Uh,
0: Church and Law.
2: And there's a 2019 edition.
0: So even if a victim comes in? This one is domestic violence because domestic violence is common in the church. People want to pretend it's not. I have been collecting like books on uh, scriptures used for domestic violence and rape because one of the common things that I hear is there's no such thing as marital rape because when you get married, your bodies belong to each other. So therefore, you can't deny the other person sex. And there's a lot of passes that are given to where someone's, you know, being forced to participate with something to keep the other person happy. Or you know, it's their fault.
2: So when it comes to domestic violence, you know, how does that need to handle? I realized they fill out this form.
0: Yes. So if male or woman comes and says, "This is what's happening to me," they still go in. Same thing. You fill out all these, all these things, and then the, what's the reporting details? You know, you would still call. And this is split. You know, you've got pastors who will straight up tell you, if you come and you tell me your husband, your wife is physically beating you. Here's the fun fact. The second they come in and they say, my children were present. My children are also being hit. You automatically have to call DCS. You've already got a call because now they are the minor. They've been exposed. That's right. If you've got, if you're pregnant and you're being abused, you you got to call disability. Then it turns into calling adult services.
2: So on these forms, so you have one for the perpetrator, one for the victim. You have one for domestic abuse. What else do you have?
0: elder abuse, but it looks, you know, it looks very similar to this. It's just some of the, yeah, the language has changed based on the adult. I did the elder abuse because so many people have their congregation is the elderly. Right. They're, they have nursing home. Nursing
2: home ministry. That's right.
0: Assisted living. Yes. They have nursing home ministry. So you've got people going into nursing homes or they're going into assisted living. If you're going in and you're like, dude, you're literally sitting in soiled pants, that's messed up. Right. So it has all the information based on that. And same thing, like adult protective services.
2: Now, do you have one for a person who's on disability? Who's disabled?
0: The elderly and disability one is the same form. Yeah, it's the same form because you do see those kind of things. But it changes because it it includes like financial neglect. Yes. You know, different things like that. Like who's doing it? The POA is like, who has the POA? Are they divorced and different things? I totally have. So like, here's the abuse one for elderly. So that also and the thing with this is it is it can include a minor or an adult because I know personally of a case years ago where there was a minor
2: and you're talking about the perpetrator is the minor or the adult?
0: Yes, the minor. And so I know of a person, the woman was an adult, but she was mentally a child and the minor. Was abusing her sexually.
2: It gets uh, complicated.
0: It does. That's why I was like, do I take that out? And I was like, no, because I knew of a situation that happened that a minor was the one who was abusing. So
2: these forms would help you. as a church would help you fill in all these different forms. I'm telling you these are, because nobody can see what I'm seeing. These are so excellent put together. If you're a church, oh my word, you need to invest in this. If nothing, for no other reason, just to, you know, when I was in grad school, there was this term called CYA, (laughs) Um, if you know what that is, you know. Uh, documentation, documentation, and it basically was cover your butt, cover your rear end. It is. It's what that stood for. So, um, and these forms would actually help do that. It would protect the church. It would protect everybody that's involved. Because this is the thing: when you have a case of abuse, no matter if it's domestic violence uh, against a child, if it's against a child, it gets even more
0: hairy. Yes.
2: But everybody that was part of the ministry team, if they don't have have documentation, guess what? That's cause for a civil suit.
0: Yep, absolutely. Which gets into your personal stuff.
2: Right. So I'm really curious about this one because I have been doing these suicide trainings and here you have a suicidal ideation safety plan, which if you don't know what suicidal ideation is, it just means those suicidal thoughts.
0: Yes. So this same thing, they can put their own church logo, their church information. But then again, this is the person making the safety plan. What's all their stuff? And then this is the personal information.
2: That's the person who's having this the suicidal ideation, correct?
0: Yes. Yes. If there's, you know, if they're an adult, then you just click N.A., you know because you don't need their parents' information, you don't need their school. But if they're a kid, then you know, yeah, you might want that information. Because what if they go to your school, you know, your church's private school? Right? This is the details of their suicide attempt and then warning signs. This is the thing that causes them to want to spiral down so they can recognize, well, when this happens, this and this happens, these are my thoughts, these are what comes through my mind. This is my, the situation they can go, oh. I'm going towards that. I should probably go the other way.
2: And let me just say, there's two different types of suicidal ideation. There's active and there's passive. Passive, of course, is those type of thoughts. I'm just tired of dealing with all this. I just wish I want to stop hurting. I just wish it's that wishful thinking thing we want it to end.
0: Yes, without plans.
2: Without plans, without intent, or without a means. Active suicidal ideation is when you are actively having those suicidal thoughts, but you have a plan. You have the means to do it and you have the intent to do it.
0: That's when it gets really different. Yes. And then intentional coping skills and distraction when they're alone. What are they doing when nobody's around? What can they do? And then if they decline, but then, you know, you can be with people and still feel suicidal. So what is it that you're doing when you're with people? But then also, again, back to the locations that provide distraction can you go to a park can you go to the church can you go to the mall like where's someplace that gives you peace right and then how can they make their environment safe some people are cutters some people are pill takers you know so it's it's finding out like what are things that you can give to somebody when you feel this way you know where can you go can someone come stay with you those kind of things and then identifying a couple of things for them to live for and then you know their support team when I have someone come in my office and they tell me they have suicide ideations Before they leave, you know, we kind of we do an assessment and then we decide, like, are we going across the street to the hospital or are we calling five people right now? And I have to see the text message. You're going to text these five people. I'm in on this text message and you're going to tell them you are struggling with suicide ideation. Can you be on my team? Because I'm kind of low and I need to know that you're going to come stay the night. You're going to come help me. And they always look at me and they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's either this or we go across the street. Which one would you like to do?
2: And Felicia don't play. I could tell you that right now.
0: I don't play. <laughs> Not when it comes to suicide on my clinical license. Oh no, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm the same oh, no. way. No, no, baby. nobody
0: dying on my watch. Right. Then, you know, they can choose like the person declined, the person didn't, you know, no or yes.
2: Now, something I do want to say, because people are so afraid as a therapist, this is what I come across, and I do ask the question a lot, are you having any suicidal thoughts? They are so afraid that if they say yes... I'm going to say up oh, time to go to the hospital. And that's not the case.
0: No, it's not.
2: It, it just means we have to explore. Okay, tell me more what's going on.
0: Never. It's not an automatic let's go to the hospital. And this also like with clergy, it helps them to go, Oh, wait a minute, right? How can we help this? And then also back to what are we doing? Are you going to an acute stay? Are you going to a short term stable hospital? Or are you going to the ED? Or you if you have a clinical therapist, did you call them? When's the next appointment?
2: Right. Or their psychiatrist
0: or. Yes. Yes. Something primary care physician, because maybe the meds are off. Cause I've had that too, where it's like, Hey, you're on new meds and you've spiraled. I need you to call the doctor right now. Right. And get an appointment because something's off with your meds. Cause that's another real thing. Your meds can be what's causing it. But then this is also the, the resources. So, you know, they can call 911 and then enter the County, the non-emergency number. What is their local hospital? What's the address? Suicide hotline two one one. So these are all like numbers that they can if they're really that that way at two o'clock in the morning. They can call any of those places. And these are places they can go to get help. And then church staff actions. And then again, follow up. If someone comes to you and says, hey, I have suicide ideation, then you want to follow up with them. Right. You want to make sure what is, are you okay? And then everybody signs it, you print it, you give it to them, and then you keep one for your record.
2: Right. That's the thing. If you've, it's so important to follow up. Suicide's are reduced by 30% just by following up, just by following up.
0: Just literally just by following up, just by, I feel like you, you cared. Like, oh my gosh, thank you. It's like a lifeline where they felt like they were drowning.
2: Right. And it doesn't mean for it to be that person to follow up. It doesn't mean that you have to baby them. It's just checking in. Hey, how you doing today?
0: Yes. Did you call your therapist? Did you find one? Do I Can I help you find a therapist? Can I help you find a support team, a group? Did you call the hotline? Like, it's just all those things. And like, when you go through and here's here's the different ways that filling out that form, if your clergy helps you. If you're working with them and you genuinely are concerned about the spiritual side, you're going to look at all that and you're going to go, God, I know what I need to pray for. This family is dealing with sexual molestation. This family is dealing with suicide ideation. God, let me let me pray specific prayers for all of this because it's going to be more than just somebody coming down to the altar and just, you know, boo, oh, good Christ, uh, and having an emotional release, which is real, having a moment with God, which, you know, is real. But most of the time, When someone comes down, they're not going to go, yeah, I've been getting raped for the last five years and my husband beats me.
2: Yeah, they're not going to say that at the altar.
0: They're not going to say that at all at the altar. You know, they're going to kind of do it by themselves and stuff like that. And so this will help the pastoral team to be like, we know what specific prayers to pray. But also, I guarantee you've got some PTSD. So I need to be mindful and self-aware of how I interact with you. I, I need to recognize my tone of voice and my body language might actually trigger you Because you're dealing with stuff at home on a daily basis.
2: Right. And if you're a clergy, you need to have a friend who is a therapist, because then you can consult with that person. Hey, I've got a member of my church. This is happening. Uh, What do you suggest? What's your thought? Yeah.
0: What should I do? How can I help this? Or what trainings could I get into? That is one thing I've talked to so many people and they're like, look, I've been doing this a long time. And they're like, I'm out of my scope. And here's this. This kind of popped in my head a while ago, and I was like, "That's so true." Most churches, their, their goal of the gospel is reach the world. Hey, we're here. Come, come to Jesus. Come to salvation. Now you got the world's problem in your building. God will help. God can do things. Absolutely, I hundred percent believe in that. But you're bringing in years of behavior, years of patterns, years of trauma. You know, years of stuff it's sitting on your pew and
2: it's not all spiritual
0: either and it's not all spiritual you know so this helps people go we're doing it the commission's happening the gospel's happening but maybe as clergy, I need to up my game on training.
2: So how many forms is that total? Because we're getting ready to wrap up here.
0: Uh, I think I have eight eight or nine forms actual total.
2: Eight or nine forms. Okay, so do you have any type of special deal or paperwork package? Yeah, I
0: do. What is that? That is if someone just buys like one form, it's $25. If they buy three, then we knock $10 off. If you buy five of the forms, we knock 15 off. If you buy eight of them, we knock 25. So you get one of them for free. We do it that way because you kind of, and once you buy the packet or you buy one, you just use that one over and over again.
2: So it kind of pays for itself. What it comes in the eight forms?
0: You get one of everything. So you get the sexual abuse for minors. Yeah, All the abuse reporting, so domestic violence, elderly, minors, all the visual logs, the suicide ideations, the safety plans for the perpetrator, the safety plan for the victim, safety plan for suicide ideation. Like you get all of them.
2: And where can they reach you to order these?
0: They can either call me or they can shoot me an email, which is fmiller.com
2: at greaterpurposecounseling.com. F. Miller at com. All right. So I would highly encourage anybody who is in ministry a clergy, if you are a therapist, get this paperwork. I am going to purchase this package deal because, oh my goodness, this was well worth it. It's so well put together.
0: Oh, thank you.
2: You know, and the thing of it is, especially if you are ministry out there, you want to cover your foundation. You want to cover your base Because you don't want anything coming back to smack you in the face. We are living in the last days, whether you believe it or not.
0: Like I've had people tell me, they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's a witch hunt for perpetrators. It's a witch hunt for sexual abusers. And I'm like, I don't necessarily believe that it's a witch hunt for people. If someone is a sexual perpetrator and they're caught and they're actively participating with a trained and certified therapist to work with sexually maladaptive behavior, they're compliant. They're following a safety plan. They're, you know, they're doing what is asked. That's not who the witch hunt's for. People want accountability to people who are not doing the law. That's right. They're not protecting victims.
2: Because we are no longer in the 1980s, 1990s, where it's been covered up. Because it hasn't been taken care of in-house. So now you're with a group of people here in 2022 who are tired of it. And we want accountability.
0: Yes, they want accountability from organizations. Literally, there are some organizations that I'm just like waiting for the next spotlight like, and I don't know if you know what Spotlight is.
2: Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm kind of waiting as
0: well. And I just hold my breath because I'm like, when it's going to come out, it's going to be like, well. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. And I don't want to be a part of the team that's like, let's let's burn it all down all the way down. Like, I don't I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a team that is trying to help the infrastructure. Right. I want to come in and literally give people the tools and the skills to stop creating more victims, to stop causing people to leave God, because that's what it turns into. When you've been abused in the church and there has been a cover-up, you are the reason that person no longer goes to church. They've decided to leave your organization. They want nothing to do with Christianity. They want nothing to do with anything organized because you had the opportunity to help the vulnerable like you're supposed to, and you fail.
2: Or they want to switch denominations altogether. We don't want to be a part of that faith. So we're going to go over to XYZ faith, because I don't have to worry about being abused over there. Right.
0: Or being supported. Right. You know, like that, that's where I just I want, I really want my passion and heartbeat is definitely training with churches, because it's what was it, we were in the CAC meeting, somebody said certain denominations are 50 years behind. And it's the truth. They're just, they're just behind. It's like, we're over here in this other alternative world, but literally everybody else is over here living in laws. You know, we get in our cars and we put on seatbelts and we follow, you know, safety plans. And those examples are always used for, you know, following modesty for, you know, like, Hey, we're going to do this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, but what about the stuff that really has value? Like abuse reporting, That's it. Keeping victims safe. Like, if there's ever a place that you should be following the laws, it's these laws that are already well established and can put you in prison.
2: Exactly, and I think me and you both have that same heartbeat where we we want to get we want to get trainings into the churches. I'm more the trauma informed care, suicide awareness. You're doing this one. I think it's awesome. So again, if you want this whole package, reach out to Felicia F. Miller at GreaterPurposeCounseling.com. Tell her you heard it on the Real Talk 238 podcast podcast. podcast and she will get you fixed up with that
0: yes absolutely
2: so thank you again for coming on today and talking about this this was so important it's i don't think it could be more timely than now
0: thank you thank you for having me i love it i love all of it i one one of those things, you know. God was like, "Hey, go do this." I was like, "Sure!"
2: Right. One of those things on instinct. All right, everybody. So if you know a if you know a minister, if you know somebody in clergy, please share this with them because this is vital information that was there to help. And until next time, have a blessed
1: and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk Two Thirty Eight podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk Two Thirty Eight podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on The Real Talk 238 Podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find The Real Talk 238 Podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at therealtalk238. As a reminder, The Real Talk 238 Podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.